Hello everyone, I'm Joel Van Hoogen and this is the Bread of Life. This program is brought to you by Church Partnership Evangelism. To learn more about our reach around the world, go to cpeonline.org or traincpe.org. And to learn about our mission fellowship in Boise, Idaho, go to breadoflifeboise.org. Today we'll look into the transition from repentance to faith and consider, starting in Matthew 5, what that saving faith looks like and how it continues to express itself in our lives. This is the progression from repentance. Let me explain it to you. When I change my mind radically about these things that I just told you about, when I do that, I discover when I say my life that I am spiritually bankrupt. I'm poor in spirit. I have nothing to offer God. Before, I've been always pulling out my little coupon book with my notes from what I thought was in my bank account of spirituality. I've said, God, look, I know I've got some problems, but look, I've got this. But now I look back and realize that no, I'm bankrupt because the debt is the other way. It's so deep, I'll never pay my way out of it. I'm spiritually bankrupt. When you recognize that you're spiritually bankrupt, what kind of happens is you mourn. You lament. What am I going to do? I have no way forward. I'm so deep in debt. I'm in such a hole to the judgment and justice of God. And I thought I could have paid it out with some petty spirituality and some petty righteousness. And actually, that is filthy rags in itself. My own self-righteousness is a part of my debt. I'm bankrupt. I mourn. After I mourn what I do, well, I quickly abandon every argument I've ever made for myself. I'm meek. That's what meekness is. It's the absence of a self-defense or argument before God. Something totally contrary to human nature. Human nature immediately, when questioned about the legitimacy of anything we're doing, we come up with an argument. The person who has been spiritually bankrupt and mourns is also meek. I have any argument. They don't say, well, you know, I was doing my best. I had good intentions. They don't even say that. Then what do they do? Well, they long for the debt to be paid for, and they don't have it in themselves. So they long for righteousness they don't have. They hunger and thirst for righteousness. And the only reason you can hunger and thirst for righteousness is when you find that you don't have it in yourself. There is no righteousness here. There's nothing right here. God, give me a righteous payment for my debt. That is, in a sense, the pathway from repentance to faith. From there, you can then say, Jesus, you're my Savior. You're my salvation. You'll give me righteousness. And that's how we go from repentance to faith. So, really what I've just described to you is the fruit that is fit for repentance. The outcome of repentance is a person who seeks righteousness with God and salvation from God apart from anything in themselves. That's the fruit of repentance. The fruit of repentance is I'm no longer looking to me. I'm looking to Christ alone. I'm trusting in Him alone. I'm not trying harder even. I'm oh God, you've got to do this. You've got to help me. That's the fruit of repentance. I'm not saying that this is what goes to the mind of every person who has come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, you couldn't open up and crack open every one of your experiences where you gave the life to Christ and you could see somehow all this clearly evidenced in your statement or declaration of faith in Christ, but I am telling you at a cellular level, a level of the atoms of faith, the cellular level, this is what was there. 
If you broke it apart, what you'd see is you changed your mind about yourself and you, as a result, became impoverished before God and you lost your argument before God and you mourned before God and you desired God to give you something you didn't have. And then you found the answer in Jesus Christ. And that was faith. Well, the idea that a person can have saving faith without having repentance is like believing that you can go to London without leaving New York. If you think you can go to London without leaving New York, you're just shopping at Evelyn and Woods in Times Square. Do you know what I mean? You're just at a facade. You're just buying jams and jellies from some store along some street in New York City that uh, was imported from London. But you're not in London. To get to London, you've got to leave New York. When we were little kids, you know, we traveled all over the world. I was, as a young child, in the deep jungles of Africa. I was. I was on the high seas. <laughs> I was fighting battles against the Germans in, uh, you know, in Antwerp and all kinds of places, on the shores of D-Day in France. And I was in the wilds of the West. I not only transported myself from different places, I transported myself to different times. And then it was all broken up because my mother said it was time to go to bed. And it was over. If you think that you can just make some mental ascent and say, I'm going to believe Jesus for these things and not repent, right? Someday a wake-up call is going to come. You've been dreaming. It's not possible. You say, well, I'm just going to get back to God and do the right things and I'm going to reform this time. Man, I've grieved a lot. I've cried a lot because I have put my life in a world of hurt because of the decisions I've made. So I'm just going to turn a new leaf and I'm going to try better. And you're going to be in a world of hurt. What it requires is repentance. A complete change of mind about what you've determined about yourself. And then, complete putting of your trust and faith in Christ alone. Well, let's look then at what faith is. Let's try to understand this. And we'll look more deeply in this in the future. Repentance and faith are wonderfully linked together. The word repentance actually means, metanoia means to change your mind. The word faith means the same thing today as it meant back in the day when it was taught here in the New Testament. It basically means the placing of your confidence or your trust fully in another. So repentance means to change your mind. Faith means to put your confidence and trust in another. Let's show how wonderfully interchangeable these concepts are when it comes to the moment at which we come to saving trust in Jesus Christ. Basically, repentance means this, losing your faith and confidence and trust in yourself. Repentance is simply falling out of faith with you. That's what it is. And when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you know what you're doing? You're completely changing your mind about Him. Kind of repenting about Him. You're saying, He's all the answer. He's my only hope. I can't bring Him anything. I have to receive everything from Him. So you are losing faith in yourself and you're repenting towards Christ. Or you repent, and you believe, and you trust. They're interchangeable. That's what takes place. If you remember, we spoke about this, and I just want to review this very quickly. We spoke about what repentance is, and we said that repentance is that change of mind where we take up God's position against our own selves and against our sins. The repentant person is somebody who stands with God in God's argument against ourselves. His argument against ourself, our sin, the state of our own righteousness, our source of satisfaction. But in a sense, if that's what repentance is, 
Faith is, at the same time, standing with God as He argues for us. Repentance is standing with God as He argues against us. Saving faith is when I stand with God as He argues for me. Here's what God says against me. He says that I'm a sinner. Romans 3.10 says there's none righteous, no, not one. Romans 3.24 says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I stand with God and I say, God, I agree with you. I'm a sinner. Now here's God's argument for me. He says, he declares that he sent his son as my representative and that he has lived a perfect and sinless life in order to represent me. He has succeeded where I have failed. And saving faith and trust and confidence completely trust in Christ as the pure representative for my life. That's what a priest is, by the way. He's my mediator. He's my priest. And he stands on my behalf as a pure and righteous one. Look at Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. It speaks of this declaration of confidence. Hebrews chapter 4, 14 through 16. Confidence is another word in a sense for faith. Trust. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. Let's cling on to our faith. Let's trust. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Faith trustingly says, Christ is the sinless one who stands in my place to represent me, the sinner. That's faith. That's the argument God has for my behalf. God's argument against me also is an argument against my sins. He says that my sins are not a trifle, that they're not small things, but that my sins bring upon me God's just wrath and condemnation. And so I take up God's argument against my sins, and I recognize that I am eligible because of every sin or any sin that I've committed. I am eligible for His wrath and His eternal punishment. James chapter 2, verse 10 says, Whoever keeps all of the law yet stumbles in one point is guilty of all. All the law comes crashing down on me. That's how I understand my sins. But here's how God argues for me. God's argument for me is that He declares that His sinless Son has taken upon Himself all of the judgment for my sins. All of it. So what does Isaiah 53, 6 say? We all like sheep have gone astray, And the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. By faith, I received that. The sinless one has become sin for me and suffered for my sins, each one exacting its punishment completely and totally and eternally upon Himself, upon the cross. I trust in that. I believe in that. That's God's argument for me. First, He had an argument against me. Now he has an argument for me. Here's another argument. God argues against the state of my own righteousness. He tells me that my sins are so deep that they cannot be removed by any of my good works, any of my self-righteous acts. And so I take up God's argument against my own good works and my own acts of righteousness, and I say that they are insufficient. I agree with Isaiah 64, 6, and I say that all of my righteousness is like filthy rags. I accept God's verdict from Romans 3.20 that says, By the keeping of the law shall no person be justified in God's sight. I can't do it. I can't make up for this with my good works. God's argument to the person who is bringing their own righteousness to the bench to find forgiveness is that it is inadequate and that it insults His holy justice. And I agree. Here's God's argument for me, though. 
God's argument for me is that he says, he offers to give me the gift of the utter righteousness of his son in the place of my sins. Repentance says, I agree, God, there's nothing in me. Faith says, I'll take all of that for myself. I'll take that righteousness. So 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Can you think of that? The righteousness of God? I made the righteousness of God in Christ. I've got nothing else to cling to. There's nothing else that I can lay down. Everything else is a poor bet. I'll take that. That's what faith does. It trusts in Him alone. You know, the prophets prophesied of a day when all of Israel would put their faith in Jesus Christ and receive the salvation that God provided through Him. And it speaks of this day of national salvation, one that is still yet to come, but there's coming a day when those remaining in the nation will find salvation in Him alone. The Bible says they'll look upon Him whom they've pierced and they'll mourn as He comes back to rescue them in a day to come. In that day, Jeremiah 23 tells us what their name will be and what His name is. In his days, Judah will be saved, it says. And Israel will dwell in safety. Now, this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord, our righteousness. Well, thank you for listening to the Ministry of the Bread of Life. To learn more about our ministry, let me suggest you go to one of two websites. First, go to traincpe.org. Traincpe.org to learn more about the work we're doing all over the world to equip and engage the body of Christ personal evangelism, discipleship, and church planting, or to learn about our work in your community, go to breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, God bless you.